This episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash afblues. You're listening to the Action Figure Blues Podcast, episode number 295, for the week of Wednesday, the 18th of October, 2017. This episode is brought to you by Mike's Comics and Stuff, Audible, and ActionFigureBlues.com. Tonight, our Toys of the Week are the Sideshow Collectibles Hal Jordan Green Lantern Premium Format Figure and the Irwin Dragon Ball Z Series Action Figures. Hey everybody, Scotty here. Huge apologies for the delay in this coming into your feed. Uh, we did a really good job of getting ourselves organized to record some segments for uh, this show, and then I got completely sidetracked by normal life things, namely uh, finishing up one job and starting a new job, um, which is a super exciting development, um, but not a very podcast-assembling-friendly one. Um, so the reviews that you're going to hear tonight were thankful recorded on time, and then I have dithered and gotten distracted in putting them together. Um, so this was one of those weeks where we couldn't get the gang together at once. Ben and Eddie have very faithfully recorded segments for us that I hope that you'll enjoy. Uh, and the only good news about the delay is that episode 296 um, has been recorded on time and will be out on normal schedule, so you won't have to wait a full week to hear the episode after this. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Ben and Eddie for their reviews for this week's show. If you like listening to podcasts, there's a good chance that you'd enjoy audiobooks as well. To make it easy for you, our sponsor Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial when you go to audibletrial.com forward slash afblues. A book I'd like to recommend is Wool by author Hugh Howey. It's the first book in a trilogy which unfolds the mysterious story of The Silo, a subterranean city extending 144 stories beneath the surface. It's a captivating book that I had to listen to almost in one sitting because I couldn't turn it off. To get your copy of Wool for free and start your 30-day free trial, or find another book to start your Audible journey, just go to audibletrial.com forward slash afblues. Hello guys, it's Eddie here, uh, and we are segregated uh, once again for this episode. I uh, was toying around with doing a couple of Toys of the Week, but nothing was really singing to me too much, and I think the reason why I was struggling to do a Toy of the Week is that I have been on a bit of a Dragon Ball Z figure arts kick of recent. That's been the stuff I've been getting in and I have been most excited over. And the reason why I then struggle for a Toy of the Week is we have our own resident Dragon Ball Z expert with Adam, and he talks really <laughs> fantastically about this product and has probably sold me on more toys than any other reviewer here at AFB, and probably 
any other podcast if I'm being honest. So when <laughs> it comes time for me to talk uh, about these, uh, pretty much everything I've been getting in this last week, Adam has already reviewed and reviewed in a way that I never could uh, do justice. So I <laughs> had to do uh, a little bit of thinking, nothing too long. This isn't uh, genius work or anything uh, about a way that I could kind of talk about what I'm passionate about this week because I love being passionate and talking about things that I'm passionate about uh, on this podcast and uh, a way for me to talk about Dragon Ball Z is to go back to uh, Dragon Ball Z when I first discovered it in the year 2000. And that year might sound a bit weird uh, for some because it did come out uh, well, much earlier in Japan and even earlier in the States, but we didn't receive it here in Australia till 2000. So in 2000, I was a uh, 14-year-old little fat kid uh, <laughs> marching off to year eight, and in the morning I would still watch cartoons and I was watching uh, Cheese TV. So I was a very loyal Agro's Cartoon Connection guy when I was younger, but uh, when you became a teenager, that's when you watched Cheese TV. And they did play manga on Cheese TV before. I remember Robotech in its early years, uh, and then uh, Pokemon in the late 90s was a very big bit hit there. Uh, but I wasn't a big anime or manga fan. But I did start watching this new show, Dragon Ball Z, that they had on. No idea there was another predating show, Dragon Ball. That got completely skipped here. Uh, it was just this show, Dragon Ball Z. Had no idea what it was about. Seemed a bit kooky to me. There was a talking pig on it. Kind of cool animation. Uh, the fight seemed good. And then the main character basically got killed, and that's when I became obsessed with it. It was like, I believe the third episode in, uh, Raditz kills Goku, and I was just drawn in. This show was going places that I could never predict, and it uh, definitely did. And it was around that time that we got the first Dragon Ball Z toy line here in Australia. Uh, and I say it that way because really these figures had been around for years. They'd been at least in the States by a year or two beforehand. And what they were is the um, Irwin uh, first wave of Dragon Ball Z figures, but they weren't made by Irwin. They were made by Bandai in the early 90s for the Japan market under the title Super Battle Collection and then released here in uh, the West uh, many years later once Dragon Ball Z started to be shown here. And I love these figures. These are definitely uh, something that I think of when I think of my early teen years as a collector. Uh, this line became one of my main focal lines in the way that, say, Marvel Legends or Star Wars Black is to me today. And I do reminisce fondly about these guys. That said, they're really not the best figures in the world. Uh, in a lot of ways, they suck. Uh, but I am so blinded by nostalgia, I still do have a love for them. Uh, so to give you a bit of an idea, uh, I've got the 
uh, plain Goku in my hand. So he's got his black hair, not Super Saiyan. And he has four points of articulation. So really not that great, particularly this was around the time we were starting to see figures get more <laughs> articulation. And these guys were going back. So uh, when it comes to articulation, he has uh, sort of swivel joints in the shoulders and he's got swivel joints in the ankles. That's it. There's no waist articulation. There's no leg articulation. There's absolutely no neck articulation. Uh, you can literally just move his arms up and down and you can swivel his feet side to side. So you can give him duck or pigeon feet. And that is it. So for a line of action figures based on uh, martial artists, <laughs> it's... Really not a great amount of articulation. Now, uh, going on in the line, it does vary a little bit depending on uh, the figures you're looking at. Vegeta, for example, actually has some extra articulation because he's got gloves. Uh, he does have swivel joints at the gloves uh, that are actually just plugged in. Now, when I was younger, I also thought uh, Vegeta had waist articulation. Turns out he just had uh, a point where his upper body connected with his lower body and it was a very soft peg in between that would allow him to swivel. And one day when I was just playing with him, I swiveled him 360 and actually snapped it off. So uh, my Vegeta actually is uh, cut in half, which is a bit of a shame. And then you've also got uh, Freezer, who has a tail, so that tail is articulated. So he actually has five points of articulation uh, for where he has a swivel there. Now, it's not all good. There are some like Gohan or... Uh, no, actually, I, I tell a lie. Gohan has uh, foot articulation, but uh, Broly... Uh, the big Super Saiyan only has articulation in the arms. He does not have uh, the foot swivels. <laughs> He's actually only got two points of articulation. So once again, a line about martial artists. This isn't great. Now, being an adult and having done a little bit of research on these figures, it is kind of understandable it wasn't uh, how the toy market was in Japan at the time. Uh, these figures were about 10 years old by the time they were reaching us uh, here. Uh, and that's why they were a little bit of a look back. Now, the other funny thing that I found that was quite weird with these guys is that in Dragon Ball Z, they have very distinctive hairstyles. So Goku, in his plain form, has uh, those really two big fringe pieces that stick out the front, and depending on what angle you're looking at his head, they're always sticking out on the front, but the way they did it on the figure, uh, it's just almost a very 2D flat representation, so he looks great front on or from the side, but look uh, from the back, sorry, but looking at him from the sides, uh, he just looks terrible and does not look like Goku at all. Uh, the other one is the plain Vegeta. Uh, does have another weird design with his hair where uh, he's got that kind of triangle hair. Uh, generally, the way it's depicted in the show, it swoops down almost like a side of a mountain uh, going to a peak, uh, whereas on his original figure, uh, it is uh, almost more like a shark fin design where it sort of goes up and then doesn't start to curl back 
to the very top, uh, which once again, he looks great from behind or the front, uh, but from the sides, he uh, looks very, very strange indeed. Now, the weird thing with him is his super Saiyan form uh, that was released in the very same wave uh, here in 2000 has the actual more accurate depiction uh, with the way his hair swoops uh, being more like that mountaintop sort of dip but uh, which seemed weird it's like they got it right on one figure why wouldn't they get it right on the other all you'd need to do is uh, you know change the color and use the exact same mold and you'd probably be fine uh, not realizing that when these guys were released for the original super battle collection uh, we were <laughs> looking at years apart rather than the same wave. Uh, so as I mentioned, I became a very big fan of this show. Uh, I didn't want to pick up the figures initially because they were kind of sucky, uh, but I got so sucked into the show and being an action figure collection collector i knew i had to have them <laughs> i remember going to uh, my local toy store here in the small town it was toy world and picking up the plain goku and vegeta uh, because they were the two that i knew from the show at that point there were a bunch of characters out uh, but because they were based on a toy line that had come out in japan during the whole run of the show there were all these characters from the upcoming seasons that we wouldn't see here as viewers for years and years but uh, you could buy their figure uh, straight away so i actually much like scotty today uh, had no idea what a super saiyan was i knew it obviously was something that connected with the characters because i could see it on the packaging and, and in fact uh, if memory serves me correct i didn't even know the title super saiyan they were just listed on the back of the packaging as ss goku and ss uh, vegeta and uh, a couple of other characters going down there on the list so uh, at the time i was picking these up uh, the saiyan saga was in full swing so i knew i at least wanted the plain goku and the plain vegeta and i actually think it was the last purchase i made at my childhood toy store their toy world uh, because some vandals actually burnt the store down <laughs> later on I, I shouldn't laugh that's uh, not good for the store owners but just in kind of that childhood memory I was devastated I, I would have <laughs> really wanted to punch the kids uh, that did do that and took my town's toy store away but uh, I, I do think these guys might have been my very last uh, purchase in there because it was that same year uh, that it happened. Um, now, the Goku had a bit of a tough choice for me because he uh, has these different symbols on his gi or karate outfit, uh, depending on who's kind of training him at the time. And I originally had the Roshi turtle symbols because that's what he wore originally. <laughs> and then he also had the sticker for... Um, uh, King Kai, so I swapped that over once he finished his training with King Kai and uh, got that and my back turtle sticker was destroyed and uh, now he's got a different one on which he did change into in the show and I obviously changed him over uh, too, but uh, I'm not too sure uh, it's been a while since I've gone back and revisited I think it comes from the Namek uh, error. So someone can correct me here on this um, if Adam doesn't, uh, first of all. But uh, I did swap it over that. So those original stickers were there, were just destroyed uh, when 
it came through, which is a shame. I do wish I still had them today. And in fact, if this was me today, I'd be buying three different Gokus just so I could apply uh, the different stickers there on him. Uh, now, one feature I didn't mention that while these guys uh, do kind of suck in lack of articulation, one thing that I did think was actually cool on them is that they all come with some sort of armor piece that is removable. So while on Goku it's not exactly armor, you can take the shirt top of his gi off. Uh, so it's him as a bare-chested fighter. Uh, Vegeta, you can take the armor off. Uh, his sort of Saiyan armor there. Now, Vegeta wasn't <laughs> screen accurate with his armor. He did come with the upper half of his Saiyan armor, but would uh, have nothing representing the lower half of the Saiyan armor. Now, his suit did sort of look like this later on in, I believe, the Namek Saga, but uh, for me at that time, only knowing the Saiyan Saga, uh, this wasn't really accurate and I wasn't too impressed. Uh, I did later go on <laughs> very quickly uh, to pick up Super Saiyan Goku, I believe he was the third figure uh, that I had gotten my hands onto. Uh, I think he was actually a peg warmer, if memory serves me correct, and that's why he was the third one uh, that I purchased. It um, wasn't really for relevance in the show because uh, it was at least a year before we saw the transformation on the show here in Australia from when I picked up the figure. But uh, I did have him very early on and I had his Namek uh, Gi symbols on because they were the only stickers that he came with. The next one I picked up was a character that I did not know at all, but he did seem kind of cool. And that was Freezer. Uh, Freezer... Uh, is uh, alien uh, evil uh, guy. He's the guy who pushes Goku to enough uh, of a limit that he turns Super Saiyan. And this guy is a very cool figure. He's kind of a little bit like a grey alien if you've never seen him. Uh, once again, this era of the show wasn't out yet. I had no idea who this character was. I'd sort of assumed he was a bad guy, uh, but he didn't even know that for sure, but a really uh, odd-looking design. But I was very grateful that I actually had him uh, once the Freezer saga came about because then you couldn't get a grey version of Freezer around here in these parts unless you'd brought him the year before. So uh, I was very happy to add him to the collection, and it did mean uh, an extra character. Now, one that I was very fortunate to get because he was extremely rare, uh, at least here in Australia, uh, I never actually saw him on shelf, and that was... Uh, trunks or future trunks. Uh, now, I wasn't really looking for this guy. Uh, this guy comes even after the Freezer saga, so uh, it would be a very long time before we saw him on Australian TV. Uh, but he was a different character, uh, so I did kind of want him. I knew he was somehow <laughs> connected like Goku and Vegeta because he had an SS form uh, on the back of the figures there later on, but I uh, never saw this guy on the shelf. And the only reason I had him at the time is that for some reason my dad was at a shopping center and asked me if there was anything uh, he could look out for me for. And I said, oh, if you happen to say there's Dragon Ball figures, if there's one uh, 
called Trunks, could you grab it? And apparently he walked right up to the shelf and there was one there and he brought it home and gave it to me and I was very, very thankful. Now, Trunks is a little bit different in that he actually comes with uh, some real accessories. So he has a sword that comes with a sheath and a bandolier to drop this over his shoulders. Now, my bandolier has unfortunately uh, broken at the point that it connects uh, to the sheath, which uh, is kind of common uh now the weird part oh and he does i do forget this is actually a separate piece but he does have a clip-on belt too that sort of clips around and plugs in and he also came with a bunch of stickers so there's a sticker that goes around the sheath there's a stickle for sort of the leather straps around the stores uh he had a capsule corpse symbol that went on his jacket and sort of this orange button uh plug piece for his uh belt there but uh very um uh very cool design i always really like this guy and this was one of the early occasions of me actually realizing that i'd gotten my hands on a quote-unquote uh rare piece so uh, i definitely did uh value trunks here now one guy that wasn't rare but i stupidly didn't pick him up at the time was super saiyan vegeta uh he is the last figure from this first wave that i am yet to talk about uh in terms of purchasing he was one that uh, i didn't necessarily grab i didn't know what the ss's were uh, I had a Vegeta, so I was looking more to grab other figures. Now, uh, once again, I was 14, so I didn't have the strongest income uh, coming in. You couldn't work here in Australia until you turned 14 in nine months. Uh, so I was relying on what I could scrape together between the couch cushions. So uh, when it came between buying a character that I had in a version I didn't know versus a new character that, in fairness, I didn't know, I went the new character. So... Uh, I didn't get this guy and it did haunt me because once he was gone, he was kind of gone. And this was back in the days before I was able to shop online or buy online. So uh, once a toy disappeared off shelves, it had disappeared off shelves. Uh, and I did, once that happened, I did regret it. Until very much later on in the year, uh, I did go out with my dad on a very long drive across the state. He was needing to make a delivery for business. Uh, it happened to be on a day, I don't know if it was school holidays or the weekend, but I wasn't home and I went along with him for company. It was probably a six-hour drive all up and for some reason we stopped off at a big W, uh, kind of like a Walmart, uh, in a country town and I found him uh, on the shelf there and was able to pick him up uh, and I was very very happy about that uh, now there was actually one other time has just come to me as a memory that I was about to pick him up it was at a Kmart I believe at Airport West at the day uh, and I had found him on shelves and it was before he was uh, super rare or disappeared but um, uh, I knew he was dropping off at that point but there were some 
bigger kids uh, in the toy aisle at that time, uh, <laughs> kind of ripping apart the shelves and uh, making fun of things. And I could see it there, but uh, I knew I didn't uh, want to go in and <laughs> mess with the 17 or 18-year-olds that, uh, you know, if I was to see that same scene today, I probably wouldn't find them scary or that at all <laughs> pathetic. But uh, back then it's like, oh, I don't want the 18-year-olds to see me buying figures. I'll just walk around and get him next time, which there wasn't next time. So... Uh, stupid on past me. Now, that was the first wave. They were fairly common uh, and around. You could find the plane, Goku and Vegeta quite easily. Uh, but one I was extremely excited to see, and it always comes up as uh, a time I remember walking in and finding new product on the shelves. And once again, this was before the internet. You didn't know things were coming. Uh, this one I kind of knew a little bit because it see, uh, series two to four were listed on the back of the packets, even though we didn't get uh, three or four here in Australia as far as my knowledge goes. Uh, I did happened to walk into a Toys R Us one day and find Series 2, which did have two figures that I really wanted. And to be honest with you, I can't even, uh, to this day, remember what the rest of the wave was. But uh, I, actually, I think there was a uh, Super Saiyan Vegeta sort of reissued in there as well, but I could be wrong on that. Uh, but... <laughs> The ones I was excited for was Goku's son, Gohan, who is a tiny little version of these figures, but once again has the removable uh, top half of his gi and is very reminiscent to how he looked in the Saiyan saga, which I had actually seen at this point. Uh, and I've completely forgotten a figure from the first series. Uh, so... <laughs> sorry, he was tucked behind here. So this guy would have been the third figure, sorry. So that's where I was getting a little confused with Super Saiyan Goku. Uh, and that's Piccolo. So he's the Namek kind of green alien uh, with the antenna ears. And he has removable uh, armor pieces in his sort of cape with fluffy shoulder pads and turban uh, that come off. And he's got his purple gi on underneath and he's just a really cool uh design with sort of uh kind of exposed muscles on his arm and just really really uh great so he made up series one as well uh i do apologize so he definitely would have been the third one i got and then uh super saiyan um goku would have been the fourth i, I was thinking there was at least more than those two characters that i knew <laughs> from the Saiyan saga. Uh, anyway, uh, and Goku was, tra uh, Gohan was trained by Piccolo, so he's wearing that same purple gi, so they actually look really well, uh, standing in together. Uh, and I remember being very excited to see Gohan, uh, but I was more taken by this other guy, and it's another character I didn't know anything about, uh, but it was SS Broly, and this figure is massive compared to the rest of these Irwin uh, figures. Uh, he probably stands about almost twice the height uh, of uh, sort of the average ones about, you know, sort of Vegeta, Trunks uh, and Freezer. 
that make up most of the line, even though those characters are slightly shorter in the show. Uh, so he is really huge. He's just a big chunk of plastic. He would, and he's solid too. He would hurt if someone threw a uh, Super Saiyan Broly at you. Now, I had no idea who this character was. He didn't even get representation here in media in Australia for years and years. Uh, wasn't even part of the Dragon Ball TV show. He was part of some of the spin-off weird movies that don't really play into continuity uh, that they did. <laughs> uh, he's uh, really, really a fantastic piece of sculpt, just huge and muscly, and you really get uh, the sense of threat off him. Uh, and he's just got that wicked smile that I knew straight from the start he was going to be a villain. So even though... I was so excited to see Gohan because he was part of uh, the saga that I knew. I actually walked away that day with Broly uh, just because he was such a cool figure. I was a little worried at first because Gohan uh, being a popular character was a little bit harder to find, but I did eventually find him. But I never saw Broly again on shelves, so I do feel... Uh, I made the right move, but I did eventually pick up a Gohan. I believe at that same Kmart that those boys were terrorizing uh, the toy aisle. And that was the end of my quote-unquote re-releases of the Super Battle Collection. Because after Series 2 of these re-releases were hitting our shelves, Dragon Balls, they really took off here. So coming into uh, 2001, probably even late 2000, we started to get uh, the Irwin uh, figures, which were new figures done for the show's Western releases. So uh, we got characters that you didn't see in the Super Battle Collection, like Nappa and Radish... Uh, Yajirobe. Uh, we got re-releases of characters like Super Saiyan Goku and uh, Gohan, Future Trunks. Uh, we got spin-off lines that had action features. Uh, like I've got, uh, <laughs> I've got my whole old collection here, but I've got uh, the first version of Cell that has his arm outstretched that you'd put sort of a little missile shooting uh, energy blast or a sort of battle damage Goku here that you move one leg and the other leg moves in a kicking motion. There was all sorts of these guys uh, being released. Uh, and in every way you can think of, these guys are better figures that were released as original sculpts by Erwin, but they never captured <laughs> that same love that I had uh, for these uh, re-releases of the Super Battle Collection. And I don't know why other than nostalgia it has to be purely nostalgia uh i do <laughs> like the sculpts on the super battle collection but they're not great they're not great representations of the tv shows they have horrible articulations now i haven't talked about the paint and that's really in the most part there's there's not paint on them. As I mentioned, for the detail on trunks, they used a lot of stickers, and pretty much the rest of them is uh, just molded plastic. It's the color of the plastic that is molded in a little bit on the eyes and maybe like one bit of detail here, such as an armband or uh, paint on the shoe. But that was really about it. And even their hair molds are separate pieces that are glued down, so they're not always exactly sitting on there right like Super Saiyan Vegeta's Widow Peak. I can almost see through uh, in between the sides of it and see cracks of light underneath. 
they're not great figures in any way, but I, I love them. I really do uh, love them. I did sell off a whole bunch of my Dragon Ball Z figures a couple of years ago, uh, and they, I guess, you know, kids of that age that grew up with it are hitting that right point. They want to spend a bit of money on it. Um, a lot of these guys are five inches tall, so they do complement the figure arts line quite well. So there's characters that do go for a bit uh, that haven't been released in figure arts that people are after. Uh, but <laughs> the ones that I know I'll never sell are uh, these super, what I call super battle collection uh, releases, just because there is something about them, them being such an early part of Dragon Ball Z that I love. And to me, to this day, even though I know it's not the best saga, but the Saiyan saga is always going to be my favourite version, pretty much that up until uh, the Freezer uh, Goku fight with the first Super Saiyan. I did follow it a bit along after that. I did really like the Cell saga. Um, <laughs> the Android saga actually dragged for me a bit. That's one of my least uh, favourites. And I was collecting through the line. So, uh, as I mentioned, Erwin kept going. And they did get to a point, and this was... Uh, a really weird thing to do because they do keep scale running fairly well uh, through the lines, but at some point towards the end of the Cell Saga, they really jumped up the paint uh, on the figures, and you go from getting kind of, say, paintwork that would be the equivalent of a Playmates Ninja Turtle to getting a figure, sometimes using the exact same mould, uh, but getting the paint application of a McFarlane uh, toy. <laughs> it was literally one line uh, to the other. So I do have a bit of a soft spot for the uh, super hyper-detail painted uh, Irwin figures that were coming out. Uh, it would have been around the end of 2001, early 2002, uh, so that's where I've got the perfect cell uh, from here. I've got a Super Saiyan Goku, but he's wearing the Saiyan armor, which is a very rare look, but he was uh, using it when he was training in Kami's time capsule thing with Gohan, and uh, he's hyper-detailed. There was a quote-unquote dead angel Goku that has the halo and wings, and this guy actually used uh, the exact same body mold as just the ordinary Goku from the Irwin uh, articulated line, uh, but he's painted completely differently. Uh, now, I sold off that original Goku when I was selling off figures, so I don't have it to compare, but uh, that's one of the best ones for contrast because you can just really see the difference where they've used uh, multiple skin shades uh, and washes uh, to bring out the muscles in the sculpt. Uh, and that was kind of the weird thing is that it lasted a couple of waves, this hyper-detailed paint, but there were just some really random characters being released at the time. I've got like Android 19, the Great Saiyan Man, uh, <laughs> Goku, in his, uh, Gohan, sorry, in his gay, and there are a couple of the early Majin Buu saga characters <laughs> released in this super high to great detail that just didn't uh, hit through. So these are some really cool figures. Um, I do recommend any Dragon Ball uh, character check them out, but they just really don't fit with any other uh, line that sort of came before or after. Uh, and it wasn't too long after this that Irwin actually lost the licence. And it went to Jack Specific, who uh, re-released a lot of Irwin 
stuff again. In fact, getting ready for this show, I had a Vegito figure here that I would have sworn was from the early days of that uh, Irwin uh, sort of doing the articulation stuff, but I couldn't figure out why he would exist because he was a character from after their time. And then I looked it up and he was a Jack's um, Pacific uh, character, which I'd thought they'd only done the... Uh, figures for GT, but uh, they did get some new molds out there for Dragon Ball Z uh, nearing the end there, which I hadn't realised because at the time of me buying, I wasn't that much paying attention to toy companies, so I would have uh, probably just assumed it was still Irwin uh, doing it and not even checked the back of the packet. Uh, but I've prattled on a while now. So uh, I do recommend, if you are a fan of Dragon Ball Z, if you're a fan of Adam's Figure Arts reviews, uh, definitely jump online, Google Super Battle Collection, have a look at these guys. Uh, I was really fascinated with the Japanese packaging, and it is something that uh, I kind of always toy pardon the pun, uh, with doing, but going back and collecting some of the Japanese Super Battle Collection because they did come in kind of very similar to figure arts boxes that we get today, um, sort of a square box with a tray and then the figure in and the pieces off to the side. And there are lots of characters that never got re-released by Irwin, uh, even in the four waves they did in the States. And um, there was many, many more. And I actually came across a... It was news agents used to do these special books on things, and there was one on uh, Dragon Ball. Uh, it would be sort of this monthly Dragon Ball Z collector's book. And it wasn't the regular monthly edition, but they had sort of a super-duper annual. And one of the features in the annual is they actually went over the Japanese versions of these figures and I wish I still had this book today because I poured over it uh, because that was the first time that I realized these guys were uh, re-releases and this could be why um, I have such nostalgia for these guys uh, is that um, sorry I'm kind of working out some therapy here <laughs> making self-discoveries as I go through uh, but they had images of all these different Japanese toys uh, in the sets and I remember seeing some really cool ones such as perfect Goku that had swappable heads so you could do the different Saiyan versions uh, and the Super Battle Collection went into GT so you even had characters like Baby and Pan and the great monkey baby figure that was just this massive behemoth <laughs> King Kong uh, style Super Saiyan monkey and I'm not going to explain it if you haven't watched Dragon Ball Z but uh, the people that no, no, the great monkeys, but the idea of a great monkey going Super Saiyan was just like, oh, of course, I didn't even think of that. That's amazing. And running through and just pouring over this book for ages and ages, it um, kind of gave me a hint of things that were going to come up in the sagas, because this would have been around 2001, so we probably would have been around the time of the Freezer saga here. So everything else in that book was kind of giving me teasers of other things uh, that would eventually go through. And there were little blurbs on some of them, so I knew who Goten and uh, that was. And obviously there was a younger Trunks, so okay, Trunks does grow up a bit and uh, things like that uh, going on. So I, I do wish I could uh, track down that guidebook. Again, I don't even know what it was called. I just remember it was black with sort of this foil 
Super Saiyan Goku on the front, but uh, definitely a huge part of my teenage uh, toy collecting years. So uh, definitely something fun to reminisce about. So uh, thank you guys for uh, putting up with my trip down memory lane. Uh, but uh, I always love doing this stuff. And hey, feel free, drop us a line. Let us know what was that thing around that mid-teenage years uh, when a lot of collectors gave up collecting, but if you stuck with it, what was it that sort of kept you around and kept you collecting? Uh, was there anything new that came around? <laughs> like, this was new to me. This wasn't anything that I knew of as a kid. I'd love to hear. Uh, or if you collected this Super Battle collection as well, I'd love to hear uh, some stories there. So thank you, guys, and I'll uh, leave it here. If your collecting addiction is a hard itch to scratch, then you might lack a bit of insurance that you always have some new goodies on the horizon. Loot Crate is the world's favorite subscription box service, and they're currently offering AFB listeners 10% off any of their flexible subscription plans. Every Loot Crate includes exclusive apparel and collectible items built around a theme, and there are so many theme crates to choose from, whether you're into a more general pop culture or gaming theme, or you have a more specific interest. To save 10% on any new subscription, go to trylootcrate.com forward slash AFBlues and enter the promo code BREACH10. If you do sign up and you love your loot, be sure to go to the AFB Facebook page and post a pic of your new gear. That's trylootcrate.com forward slash AFBlues with the promo code BREACH10. Well, greetings, valued AFB listener. It's Ben, a.k.a. Fish Milkshake here, coming at you with another Action Figure Blues Toy of the Week review. And the subject of my review for this episode is something that fell out of my review queue, so I'm going to attempt to rectify that tonight. I am talking about the Green Lantern Hal Jordan premium format statue from Sideshow Collectibles. But Ben, you say, speaking to your podcast listening device of choice, you and Scotty have already reviewed the Green Lantern premium format statue. Well, yes. Correct you are, keen-eared listener. Uh, There was a Green Lantern statue from Sideshow Collectibles all the way back in July 2013. This is another Green Lantern premium format statue. Another one, you say. Why have they released another? Hmm, interesting. Well, let's get to that, shall we? The first Green Lantern statue came out nearly four, just over four years ago and had the, I guess, dubious pleasure of actually being solicited after the Batman premium format statue, but shipping beforehand. So Green Lantern was actually the first premium format statue of, I guess, DC's big guns to land in our collecting hands. And I guess it sort of set the precedent for what we expected to come, but that was pretty quickly shot down when Batman arrived a couple of months later and uh, one of the first things that fans pointed out was the gargantuan difference in size between these two characters. Green Lantern on his own was uh, certainly a magnificent statue. That's the one with the exclusive light-up fist where he's kind of punching and standing upon a giant pile of rocks that also light up. Beautiful statue, but uh, he was certainly dwarfed by Batman and he looked quite peculiar. So as we went on and we got more characters from the Justice League, we got Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, etc. It seemed uh, pretty obvious that Green Lantern was out of his depth, looking like he was about 4 foot 11 uh, and surrounded by giants. So 
Sideshow being Sideshow have taken the opportunity to release another Green Lantern premium format. This one has the title Green Lantern Hal Jordan. There you go, just to separate the uh, other Green Lantern Hal Jordan statue. So this was a 2017 release and acquisition. Somehow it just snuck over the line into 2017, even though it was solicited um, considerably before that. Uh, premium format statue means it's quarter scale. Often that refers to mixed media, but we don't actually get any mixed media with this particular piece. Now, he's a big guy. He certainly makes up for the size of the previous statue. He clocks in at nearly 62 centimetres, so about 24 and a half inches, and he certainly has that size compared to uh, his previous rendition. But probably the big thing to note with this piece is at his widest, he's almost 13 inches or 33 centimetres wide, so a bit of a space hog in your display cabinet. Now, interestingly, I don't know whether this is a reflection of the popularity of this follow-up statue, but he is still available from Sideshow Collectibles. That does include the exclusive edition for the sum of US $450. That's an absolute bargain by the statue pricing of today. Uh, not as good as the $350 US of the first one from 2013. But anyway, there you go. All right. Now, packaging with this one, yeah, it's the usual sort of thing you'd expect from Sideshow. We get um, the, the typical art box uh, inside the uh, brown packing box. Now, the art box, uh, in the past I've complained when Sideshow have taken upon themselves to do art boxes that are really nothing more than kind of arty photos of the statue within. Uh, not very exciting. Um, however, this time they've you know, taken a bit of a, bit of a sort of left turn and done uh, an art box, which is actually really nice that actually features art. So there's some nice images of Green Lantern or sort of a, a very almost sort of Darwin cookish feel uh, of Green Lantern flying over a city, probably Oa or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. It's a little bit dull, but hey, look, you know, I complained about photos of the statues. They've done something different, so I'll pretty much leave it at that. Now, when you get that box open, split styrofoam, the usual sort of thing. Sideshows still print which way is up on the, that styrofoam, which is actually really nice. This is actually a pretty big box because, as I mentioned, that base is really quite big. Uh, and the base is really quite heavy, too. Now, the base. Hmm. Okay, where do I start with this one? I seem to remember when this was solicited, Scotty was quite critical, and I was sort of neither here nor there. But I've had the opportunity now to stare at this one for a while, and... I don't know. I, I've sort of gone backwards and forwards with this one. I like it, I don't like it, I like it, I don't like it. Um, I guess to describe this, if you can't see a picture of it, it's uh, got a very alien-esque feel to it. Uh, it's got sort of a bit of a, a metallic, almost like a spaceshipy feel. And it's kind of mainly constructed of, I guess, what you'd call sort of hard light. So as if there, it's a construct from a Green Lantern ring. Uh, it gives the impression that this energy is forming uh, steps that are going up in a cylindrical fashion. So there's about sort of three or four steps that are being created out of this green energy. Uh, there is an additional piece that comes separate in the box that you uh, plug into a hole and that sort of gives you that extra width without adding any sort of um, possible damage to the base, which is actually really, really nice. So it's a really awkward thing to look at. I think it's because I'm, I'm not quite sure what they were going for. Obviously, we're getting this 
these steps uh, as part of the construct, but is the construct actually something that Hal Jordan has done with his ring? And if so, it feels a bit odd because uh, there's nothing connecting the ring to the base, which is normally the case when he makes these kind of constructs. So... Um, I don't know. Obviously, it is meant to be made of sort of the emerald light, and we're going to run with that. Um, and, yeah, look, it's, uh, it's it's nicely sculpted. They've done a good job. It's actually got that very kind of almost like a liquid feel to uh, give you that impression that it's being created. So the one at the sort of the top step, uh, as it were, looks like it's actually just finishing off being created, whereas the one right at the bottom looks like it's now starting to dissolve, uh, almost as if they're just being created as required. Now, uh, on to Hal Jordan himself. So you take him out and uh, he's pretty much um, mostly one piece. So all that body uh, comes out as one piece and slides into the base fairly easily. Just the right foot has a, a foot peg that went in quite easily for me. Yes, I know I can hardly believe it either. Um, the head is actually a separate piece. The left arm is a separate piece. Uh, I have the exclusive edition, which means I get two left arms. The regular left arm is just a fist. The exclusive edition is um, the left arm holding the uh, power battery, which I'll get to later. Now, um, this is probably the biggest downside of the statue for me, is the art direction with Hal Jordan himself. Um, it's kind of hard to describe what he's doing. Uh, he's... He's kind of standing, uh, standing sort of erect in the, in what they call the museum pose, but with his left leg up onto the next step, uh, almost as if he hasn't committed his weight to it yet, but is on his way either up or down. And it's kind of a really awkward sort of feel to it. I mean, he certainly looks good from the waist up. He's got that sort of typical, uh, dynamic hero pose, the right hand up, you know, the ring glowing. Etc. But I'm, I'm just trying to work out what he's doing here. He has a green lantern ring, so why would he be walking up steps? Wouldn't he just fly? I mean, is he trying to get his steps up for the day? Not really sure. But the pose kind of looks as if he's coming up the steps to his 10th floor apartment on Oa, and he's gotten halfway up, and then remember he's left his wallet in the car and has had to turn around and go back down again. So he doesn't look like he's committing to going up or down. It's uh, I don't know, a bit of a bit of a strange choice to go with these steps given the pose they've actually put him in. Pose would have seemed fine if he was just standing on some machinery that was made or a flight deck or something like that. Not really sure. Um, the rest of the sculpt is actually pretty amazing. Um, the costume looks fantastic. This is a bit of a slightly modern take on Hal Jordan, so he's got that collar rather than just a sort of straight cut that we've known uh, right through the Silver Age and Bronze Age, etc., but uh, really nice sculpting to show those fine lines where the green of his costume meets the black. They have actually sculpted uh, a, sep a separate sort of line, so it's just not the paint that separates those two colours meeting. There is actually some small piping, which looks really, really good. The head itself is fantastic. I mean, it is the definitive Hal Jordan. It looks really impressive, the amount of detail in the hair. The face, and in particular the mask, looks really, really good. Um, the lantern in his left hand is really nicely done. It's got that sort of almost a bit of a classic feel. They haven't modernised it in any way, which I actually quite like. The lantern logo on his chest is actually raised. It's not just painted on. So once again, there's some nice detail. Same goes for where the boots actually meet his pants. Uh, they have actually taken the time to sculpt that as a slightly thicker piece. So where all the, uh, the different colours meet, they actually look really, really good. Um, not a lot more to it than that. The, I think most of the sculpting is probably in the head. Uh, the head is actually a separate piece, clicks in with a magnet nice and tight, which is fantastic. And I guess 
This is where things get really interesting for this particular statue, and I, I guess we're somewhere between sort of the sculpt and the paint, and that is that Sideshow, I had heard this in advance, that Sideshow were looking at trying some new techniques, and what they've actually done with this piece is instead of painting the skin uh, after casting the piece like they would normally, they've actually cast the head in a flesh-coloured resin. And then they've actually painted the mask and the hair. And so the skin texture itself has actually been left largely untouched. Uh, and it's a fantastic effect. It's worked really, really well. I was actually comparing the head uh, very closely to some of the other premium format pieces like uh, Batman and Superman that have been painted. And the effect here is is extraordinary compared to that painted effect. So not only do you get sort of a, a more natural pallor to the skin, but it's actually holding a lot more detail that paint might normally sort of fill in. So you really do get that textured, bumpy feel to the skin, which is really quite amazing. Uh, I'm fully supportive of this technique. If this is something they want to keep doing into the future, then, you know, by all means, go ahead. It's worked really, really well. And I think it actually makes the piece pop um, more that more so than just that sort of painted feel. So really, really good effort there. The rest of the colours uh, I think are fantastic. The green is uh, a really nice metallic. It's not too dramatic. So uh, even though we've never been able to see metallic colours in comics before, this is a very natural fit for Green Lantern. I think it works quite well, particularly contrasting the the black of his legs and sort of upper arms and also those white gloves, which have actually been done in matte colours. So really, really nice contrasting there. The base that I mentioned before is a combination of silver. So the metal parts are obviously painted in a silver and they're nicely done. But all that construct that I talked about, the steps themselves, uh, are actually done in a really kind of, I think they're cast in this sort of semi-translucent green colour. And I think it actually works quite well. It actually does have that kind of almost liquidy feel you might think that the emerald light would actually give so um, I think kudos to, to Sideshow for trying something a bit different there and it's, it's really quite different to the green of his costume um, they have actually highlighted the ring on his right hand on his right fist with the same coloured green so it does actually give the impression that it's glowing because the green has actually been painted onto the white of the glove that's actually nicely done with a really clever effect so Moving on to, uh, I guess, accessories, um, the lantern I've classed as an accessory because you can swap it out with a hand. Uh, and this one's quite interesting because it has a combination of the two green colours I mentioned before. So it's primarily painted in that metallic green to match Hal's uniform, but then they've used that green colour that they've highlighted the construct of the steps uh, around, I guess, the glass of the lantern to make it look like it's glowing. And it's actually worked really, really well. The lantern itself is, it feels very fragile to touch. The actual handle that's going through his left fist is incredibly thin. Uh, and, and every time I move it, I'm really kind of quite nervous. Where the handle attaches to the lantern, uh, there's actually sort of little hinges. So you can actually tip it backwards and forwards, which adds, uh, I guess, a little bit to the posing experience. But uh, as a, a surprise, I didn't realize this when I, I ordered the statue and uh, or notice it at solicitation time, but it does actually light up. Uh, so that was actually really quite cool. Now, the, the lantern, as I mentioned, has that classic feel. So it has the pieces on the top and the bottom, those kind of um, almost looks like a sardine can. 
the bottom one twists and if you hold the lantern as still as you can and you gently twist that bottom sort of disc, the lantern lights up. So that's actually pretty cool. Um, it does feel very fragile, so my kids are always nagging me to turn on my statues that light up like this one and um, the old Green Lantern, etc. But I'm really quite loath because for starters, I always forget which way I'm meant to turn the disc and you can start to sort of turn it the opposite way that it should go and I'm a bit worried that if you turn it too much it could break so uh, a little bit loath to turn that one on I think the effect works really really well but uh, at the expense of that robustness that would be um, you know that would make it more fun to turn on and off at uh, at you you know uh, on a whim so all up you know it's it's an interesting piece. Uh, I, it, it definitely fits in much, much better with the rest of the Justice League if you are getting the other premium format statues from Sideshow to form the Justice League. This guy obviously fits in really well. He stands his ground with Superman and Batman and uh, Aquaman. Uh, and so if you are getting a Greenland, this would probably be the one of choice. Um, I just feel like it doesn't quite have that dynamic presence that the original Green Lantern one did. And in particular, that really awesome light up fist, I think, was uh, the, the thing that just puts it really over the top for me. Um, this one, great sculpting of the head, great use of that lifelike resin, fantastic color choices. I'm just not getting that same feel in terms of the dynamic pose and the awkwardness of, of the base and the choice of the steps. Um, you might argue that I knew that before I ordered it, but obviously once you get it in hand, things can change quite a bit. So, look, still a, a beautiful piece and, and will take um, pride of position in my Justice League, but I'm going to knock a point off just for that sort of awkward feel. And I'm going to give this guy 9 out of 10 dollies. All right, thanks very much for listening, and I'll catch you next time. The Action Figure Blues podcast can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and can be downloaded direct from actionfigureblues.com. Wherever you listen, please take a moment to leave a positive rating and review to help others find our show. Our theme music is by Robert Crandall. Our ad music is by Scott Holmes. The AFB logo is created by Nath Stones. We also have an active fan forum at afbforum.com where you can join with all the hosts of the podcast and many other collectors to discuss news, reviews, old lines, and trade and sell in a safe community. Please join us there. While you're at actionfigureblues.com, please check out our sponsors like Mike's Comics and Stuff, Loot Crate, Audible, and Gamefly. You can find us on Twitter at AFBlues, on Instagram at actionfigureblues, and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash actionfigureblues. Thanks for listening.